Welcome to Business Owners Radio. Business Owners Radio, where established business owners get the latest insights, strategies, and practices to grow a sustainably profitable business. And now, taking care of business, your hosts, Craig Moen and Shai Gilad. Welcome to Business Owners Radio, episode 154. Joining us this morning is Dr. Daphne Scott, author of the new book, Waking Up a Leader, Five Relationships of Success. Daphne is the founder of DS Leadership Life, specializing in creating mindful leaders and organizations through leadership coaching programs. Additionally, she is the Chief Culture Officer for Confluent Health. Daphne shares our passion for growing strong leaders and highly effective teams and, wait for it, riding motorcycles. Good morning, Daphne. Welcome to Business Owners Radio. Ah, Good morning. Thanks, Jai, for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Oh, man, we are so excited to have you here today as well. Just got through the copy of your new book, Waking Up a Leader, The Five Relationships of Success. Tell us what inspired you to write the book. Yeah, you know, a couple things, probably one of the most, and this is way back in the acknowledgments of the book, actually, I had been talking and working with leaders and coaching them for quite some time and really was coming up with noticing these very consistent themes that leaders would talk to me about or complain about or get stuck around. And I gave this talk with one of the companies I was working with. And one of the guys came up to me, Napier, who's now become a friend. And he said, the way of looking at things like that just changed my life. And I said, really? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> I said, huh, interesting. And so I kept just trying it out. And I was working with teams and working with you know individuals and coaching and organizations and just kept kind of seeing how people would react, you know, to this idea of these sort of these five domains and their relationship to them. And people really liked it. And I thought, well, maybe I should write a book. <laughs> so maybe I should really flesh this out a little bit more. So that was um, one of the moments of inspiration. And then the whole book itself or the whole culmination of my career really has come out of the reality. And as you read in the book, I really struggled with several areas of my life and I just wasn't that good of a manager. <laughs> First management position, I really just wasn't that good at it. And I thought, well, maybe I should try to get a little bit better at it. So that, and thus the book was born. Shy. <laughs> I, I love it. I love it. I, you know, you make me think back to my days as an airline pilot and we always used to joke saying, you know, you learn a lot more from the bad captains than the good ones. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I had, this, I had this quote that I had the other day that said, you know, in most instances, it's probably good that leading by example doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so this speaks right to this really compelling underlying theme here. Like one of the first things you identify in these relationships is you talk about how most growing companies promote someone who's good at their job to a leadership position, yeah. right? But they never actually totally. train them to be a leader. And so here's the thing. A lot of those people then leave those leadership roles and start their own business, having also (laughs) not ever learned how to become a leader. And I can tell you, uh, you know, we all suffer through this journey. It sounds like you suffered through it too. So what have you learned and how do you help people relate to that? Yeah, Yeah, such a great question. Well, first of all, I think one of the first things that we need to really understand is that leading a group of people has a set of skills and abilities and competencies, just like anything else does, right? And they're learnable. People can learn them. The second part of that then is, if we accept that as part of reality, then we have to say, well, if people can learn them, then we probably should teach them 
you know, what the skills are that they need to have. That's the first part of it. And then it's a matter of saying, okay, well, what are those skills? And that's really the essence of my book is that a lot of times there are two pathways and things that we know. One is that, that transformational plane, which I think a lot of leaders and a lot of organizations really want that in their culture. They want these pieces about awareness and vision and having a purpose, finding meaning in your work, all these things that organizations really want for themselves. I don't know many entrepreneurs that are a business for the sole isolated purpose of simply just making money. That's absolutely part of it. If you're not making money, you don't have a business, you have a hobby, but they usually start to find over time that they want this innovation. They start doing it with other people. They want to grow something and you need people to do that. And then when they start bringing in other people, they think about, well, yeah, what kind of culture are we going to have? How do I want my days to look and who do I want to be spending time with? So to be able to do that and minimize a lot of the roadblocks and it sounds like obstructions that you run into as well, we have to have some framework. We have to have some way of teaching that. And there's two prongs of the transformational part of things and then the transactional. It's really helpful for people to know very sort of businessy type things like, yeah, working with a spreadsheet and accounting and those sort of things, as well as how are we going to work with this money part of the business? How are we going to organize ourselves? Are we going to have a culture that starts and stops meetings on time and really holds agreements sacred? And these are all very transactional sounding things. And yet leaders need to have those on board too. So it's really both of these pathways that I think are important. The mindfulness piece, the transformational piece in a leader and a business owner's work and entrepreneurial work as the business starts to grow at the same time that leaders and people who are taking on more responsibility also can learn the transactional skills of leadership too. And that's really the deeper framework of the book. Daphne, I noticed a quote at the beginning of your book of someone I actually had the pleasure of working with when she retired to work in the computer industry, Dr. Grace Hopper, U.S. Navy Admiral and computer scientist. She was amazing. She said, we lead people, we manage things. She makes it sound so easy. (laughs) 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 To to her it was, you know, that's back when things were pretty stress-free almost. And now... We've got so much going on. And as Shai was saying, we've got leaders coming in where they failed as a individual contributor. Now they're mm-hmm. starting a business and the stress and so forth. And the element of busyness comes up quite often. And yeah. trying to fill the role, even if they're not doing something, they're going to make sure they look busy doing something, but they're missing so many elements. And how does that play out into the stress levels and confusion and perceptions? Yeah, quite a bit, actually. So, you know, the chapter in the book, one of the relationships we relate to time. And I was giving this talk, there were about 500 people in the room. And I said, you know, how many of you have the experience of feeling like you never have enough time? And everyone's hand went up. (laughs) I thought, well, I couldn't get 500 people to agree on anything, you know, in a room. (laughs) except this. And so, you know, I think there's two parts. One is we do want to feel needed. You know, we do want to feel like we're going to be beneficial, that we're making a contribution. That's one of the ABCs of of being human. You know, we want to have autonomy. We want to have a sense of belonging and we want to have a, a sense of confidence, feeling like we're doing something well. So I think some of the, at least with the leaders I work with, some of the desire to take on more, to have additional responsibilities is very innate to them and to us. And so that can create this sort of overly full plate on the buffet of life. And there can be that sort of compulsion around things. I think the second part of it, though, is that we also get conditioned into believing that we don't have enough time, that if you just pay attention to sort of the thoughts, really one of the reasons for learning to pay attention in a particular way 
is that if you pay attention, you'll notice that that thought really circulates in the back of our minds quite often. And then we start to really respond. We start to actually get identified with that thought and we start believing that we really don't have enough time. So if you just try in your own experience, what happens to you when you start telling yourself, I don't have enough time? You naturally, everything starts to constrict. Your body constricts. Everything feels like it's coming at you at 100 miles an hour. And that really starts to become one of the deeper roots of the stress that people can feel and experience on a day-to-day basis. And then you add in, we have a lot of opportunity in our lives and we want to take advantage of it. We want to feel beneficial and effective. Um, It also can start to feel like it's piling on and really poor decisions. Yeah, I'm breaking into a sweat here just hearing you talk about that (laughs) (laughs) as my body's constricting going, oh my God, oh my God. Yeah, let me bring the transactional part of that. When I organize, when I quote, sit down and I look at my calendar, you know, which I do every Friday afternoon, I sit down, I do my weekly review and I'm looking at my calendar. Like I, I was saying this to someone, that is actually one of my mindfulness practices. I look a week back and I look at what happened. Do I have any meetings that I had or I have, you know, actions that things I needed to get done. And then I look ahead two or three weeks to say, okay, what's coming? What do I need to be prepared for? And and there's a calm that gets created, right? So it looks like a very transactional type of thing. I'm looking at my calendar and planning, but really that lives in my world is really one of my mindfulness practices. How aware am I of the things that I was before, things that I agreed to? How aware am I of the things that are coming towards me where I need to make sure they're prepared for? So that creates a sense of calm too. So it's both, right? I agree. I think that the calendar can definitely be, you know, a centering technique, right? Just as you yeah. described, it's an opportunity to reflect and think about, okay, how did it go? What could I have done better? Where did I leave some things on the table this week where I, I wasted <laughs> right. my time a little bit, right? Or how could I have used it better? And then as you look totally. forward, it helps you think about what you want to do more of, or ideally less of in the coming weeks. So I exactly. think that's wonderful. But, you know, this is such a major issue in this attention economy, maybe more than ever. So it's not only our internal stories around this, but I think it's the sheer volume of information yes. that is being socially engineered to manipulate our attention. What are your mm-hmm. thoughts on techniques for people to combat that? Yeah, overall. First and foremost, I think that people have to be on their own learning path about what access to technology they really want, what access they really need in their life. And I think that's different for person. So everything I'm going to say going forward is really based in my own experience and a little bit of what science tells us. We know that it takes us approximately 20 minutes to shift our attention from one task to the other that there's in residue, that it's very difficult if I'm working on one project to suddenly, you know, see an email pop up and my attention goes to that. And it takes me a minute to really get grounded with what I'm doing. And then when back to that bigger project, takes my brain about another 20 minutes or so to really fully engage in what I'm doing on the project working on before. So they've done studies now and they're looking at more and that more and more of that. So that's the sciencey part of it. Now, there are definitely people I've worked with who said, oh, I can task switch very easily and that's not a big barrier for me, to which I would say that's, that's great if that's true. In most people's experience, though, that isn't the case. And we find ourselves because of this, and this is where this idea of belief and how we relate to it fits into a lot of our actions too, who think that they can do two or three things at once. You know, one of the examples I give in the book is real simple, like looking at our text messages when we're driving, right? We've gone from potentially making a very benign sort of mistake by not hearing something on a conference call to suddenly creating a situation where we're putting our lives at risk and the risk of others. So 
I think what's really important is for each person to decide what access they need to have the things at different times and when it really makes sense to do so. I can tell you in my experience, I don't have alerts on, on any of my apps on my phone. I don't have any dings, pings, buzzes, <laughs> all the sorts of things that can happen because they do take my attention away from things. There's always something that's going to want to pull at our attention, but I really encourage people to experiment. One of my clients told me this story, and it's from a sketch that was done on Saturday Night Live, but he says when he gets home, he puts his phone in a box. And he literally has a box that he puts his phone in, and he puts it in there and he closes it. That way he's with his family, and he's not distracted you know, by compulsively looking at his device. And he said that it probably saved his marriage. So for what it's worth, <laughs> maybe consider putting your phone in a box. I don't know. Sounds <laughs> like a, a low-cost solution. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Not too painful, but it's a great point. Giancarlo Patoco, who I cite in the book, has done a lot of work on this. He came from Facebook and Google. And those things, these platforms are doing exactly what they're designed to do, which is to get our attention. And so we need to just be really mindful how much we allow that instead of us choosing to go towards those things, how much we're allowing them to choose for us. And I think that's really important. Brought back a recollection of going to the Canadian embassy for a meeting and at the entryway to the meeting room, which was an outside meeting room, they actually had a a small locker system, if you will, like a gymnasium locker room, only on a miniature scale. And each one of the little boxes had a key and you put your cell phone in there and take the key with you. Oh my God, that's great. So the message is very strong. We're going with distraction-free environments. that's yeah, excellent. It is. It, it is, isn't it? And it does create a different energy for you. You know, we don't mm. we don't get that time too much. When I do team trainings, you know, there's no computers in the room. There's has their phones out. And at first people do have their anxiety about it. You oh, know, they, yeah. they get a little cagey and I'm like, just try it and see what happens. And boy, it, it just after that becomes it really truly becomes a non issue. And then, you know, they start to see the benefits of that. And then I think I remind them, you know, hey, you're going to be in an hour meeting. Meetings are expensive, you know. <laughs> you get a bunch of people in the, in the room. They're, they're costly in business. And so yeah. um, I said, you know, just imagine what your hour meeting would be like or your 45-minute meeting would be like if no one had their devices out and everyone was paying attention. Decisions were quickly. Meetings started and ended on time. How much more efficient everyone would become. Yeah, and I notice in your book, you have definite focuses on a lot of these relationships we have with different things. And time was one of those major ones. And that. Mm-hmm. And then I noticed you have a four others in that. Can you touch on those shortly? Yeah, sure. So we get in then to the relationship with money, how we relate to that, noticing where we tell ourselves the stories, if you will, that we don't, we never have enough <laughs> or we're afraid of losing it all. So The third one is the relationship to self, the relationship to the identity. And this is, of course, at the root of much of our suffering, who we believe we are in the world and how we need to show up and how we relate to parts of ourselves inside ourselves, as well as to the world at large. And that one was intentionally put in all of these other ones. And then how we relate to friendships in leadership and I think in business at large, I opened the chapter and it seems a little stark and a little bit shocking, but I opened the chapter talking about the suicide rates that we've been experiencing, which are the highest in the United States that they've ever been in the last hundred years. And this sense of the way that we can start to feel alone in the world. And one of the reasons that I was so inspired to do the work that I do, quite frankly, in organizations is that we spend a good chunk of our time working. And I don't know many people that wake up on Monday morning and say, you know, I can't wait to get to work and just have a horrible time with my colleagues. I can't wait to just, you know, mess everything up. And 
I talk about friendships in the book specifically as one of the relationships, because in business, it can start to feel a little bit, if we're not paying attention, it can start to feel a little bit like we're just using each other for, you know, means to our own end, if you will. And when we can create friendships and relationships at work where we're spending 50 hours a week, you know, sometimes for some of us more than we might be spending with our families at times, that can really bring a lot more purpose to our work and it can bring a lot more aliveness to our work as well. So friendships is another one. And then the last one is our relationship to the unknown, the relationship that we have to the actual truth that we really don't know what's coming. Businesses, if you've noticed, spend a lot of time wanting to try to create structures to to control for that, right? Which makes sense. I mean, we wouldn't want to not do that to some degree, but really how we relate to the reality that we really never know what's coming and we never really know when the last breath is going to happen for any of us. So given that, what do we do now? And how do we want to relate to this, this experience that we have of just not being as sure as we think we are? So those are the five relationships that I talk about in the book. So Daphne, the cultures that we grow and invest in in our businesses, the return on an investment can be really large or small. And I was thinking that maybe that has to do a lot with perceptions amongst the leadership and the staff. What are your thoughts? Yeah. Well, for sure, in terms of the basic idea of how we work with somebody at large and then what we tell us about reality, right? (laughs) It matters. And it is a core practice. It is the piece that really can set us up well, have more peace, more calm, greater joy in our life. The part that I think is really relevant, just because I decide I have a great outlook or let's say take the positive side, always find the silver lining in the clouds, if you will, it doesn't mean that less than savory things happen. And when those less than savory things happen in our business, it's really helpful for us to be able to get in a way that's open-handed. We can have some acceptance to it for it in a sense. And then then be able to choose our actions. And I think one of the misnomers happens in any type of mindfulness work is the idea that, well, no matter what, we're just always going to be enjoyful and it's all in your mind, in other words. And the truth is, it isn't necessarily all in your mind, (laughs) but yet our mind is all we have, right? Our consciousness is really all we have because we all are going to navigate the unending reality of life, which is that nothing is permanent. And that is a point that I make over and over again in the book is that nothing is permanent, which means that even though I experienced in this moment great joy talking with both of you and and having a great experience, this too will pass. And my next moment could be an experience that isn't quite so enjoyable. And then that too will pass. And if we are really trying to attach ourselves in any one direction, we are always disappointed (laughs) because things always come and go. So at that point, then the mind is all we have. Our consciousness is all that we have. And at the same time, we'll always hopefully take wise action to create the best experience for ourselves and for the people that we lead as best we can. Oh, yes. We were chatting with a fellow the other day saying that, oh, this is a five-year program. You don't get by with changing a culture in less than five years. So I thought, right, well, that takes right. some of the pressure away, you know? Yeah, it does. Yeah. And, you know, from a timing and investment perspective, I think for businesses to at least explore for themselves what it's like an investment into the development of their leaders. And I make this point in the book as well, that for every business, that's going to be different. It could be as simple as, yeah, get the book and do it in that way as best you can. I think the most important thing for any business that wants to create a great culture and have great leaders is to at least start somewhere. Start with something. 
I can't tell you how many business leaders I work with where that is not a line item on their budget. And you guys know as best as anybody that if you're running an effective business, you budget for things, you know, you crew things out and have some sense of what the expenditures are going to look like for good reason. And when that isn't on budget, that isn't a line item, then it's not going to happen. So having some sense of what that needs to look like as best as it can, given the resources that you have, I think that's really the key and to start somewhere. Well, Daphne, thank you for spending so much time with us today. We really enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, Craig and Shai, both of you, I loved it. I love talking with both of you and enjoyed it very much. So I want to appreciate you both for having me on the show. It was my honor for sure. Is there anything else you'd like to leave with our listeners? Yes, I would love to remind people of the book, Waking Up a Leader, The Five Relationships of Success, and also let people know that there's a 10-week online leadership development program that I've created, and they can find that at wakingup.com. And with the book also comes additional resources. I can help you meditate. So there are (laughs) meditations that are on the website as well. So I hope people will take advantage of, of those things as they feel called to do so. Our guest today has been Dr. Daphne Scott author of the new book, Waking Up a Leader, Five Relationships of Success. You can learn more about Daphne as well as find links to her website and the online leadership development program all on our website at businessownersradio.com. Thank you for joining us on Business Owners Radio. We hope you enjoyed today's show. As always, you can read more about each episode along with links and offers in the show notes on our website, businessownersradio.com. We want to hear your feedback. Please leave comments on this show or suggestions for upcoming episodes. Tell your fellow business owners about the show and, of course, you would love the stars and comments on iTunes. Till next time, keep taking care of business.